Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, thank you so much for the presentations this morning. And thank you very much. Or the, sorry, this afternoon, but it's morning there in the US. So uh, I think I'm now getting confused whether it's morning, noon or night. But it doesn't matter. Time doesn't matter amongst friends. So thank you very much, Andrea, also for joining us. Uh, I want to start off a question uh, in general to uh, all the panel members. Um, in this morning and this afternoon's discussion, um, we heard several times how important governance is, business governance, family governance. But yet in an African context, but I think it's not limited to Africa, we see that governance is often um, very informal, um, you know, it's especially in terms of family governance. Now, um, I think it's like succession planning. We all know it should happen. We all know it should happen in a formal matter, but it doesn't. So um, I think, Andrea, can we start with you? In your experience, what can be done um, and when should it be done? Uh, if, a, if a smaller family business move perhaps to a, a bigger structure, what, what steps can they take? to move from a more informal governance structures in both a business and family to more formal governance. If I can um, ask you to start and perhaps then um, Dave and Sue, if you can comment and then coming to Erika. Thanks, Elmeri, and, and good to be here and good to see everyone on the panel. <laughs> Um, I would think the first place to start is doing a gap analysis. So where are they at the moment and where do they want to be? Um, and then, you know, filling the gaps and putting plans in place to make sure that you, that you get to your, get to your destination. Um, I think people should start rather early, earlier than later. Um, obviously there's different levels of the amount of deep detail and depth you need to go into, but all the families I work with, uh, there's usually a lack of communication, um, information sharing structures. And that, that just sparks the conflict. And obviously we don't want conflict in family businesses. And, um, so I can say you need to start from the, as soon as you can, um, on the corporate governance side, looking at dividend policies, valuation models, uh, as I mentioned, the information sharing, um, formalizing the appointments of, of your managers when you appoint people in, into the company. How do they get, um, what do they get paid? Um, how are they, uh, are they fairly remunerated? Um, what type of qualifications do they need? Do you get the best person for the job or is it more about um, just employing a family member uh, so all those type of things on the business side and even on the family governance side uh, we will sure we're going to touch on philanthropy and, and talk about that in a bit more depth but um, setting for, setting up formal family meetings and having agenda and sticking to the agenda and um, allowing people to speak and opening it, opening it up to the to the wider family or at least if it's from Gen 1 to Gen 2 that both generations are present uh, including the daughters, sons and daughters. Um, so, yes, I hope that uh, <laughs> answered the question a bit. Definitely. Thank you for that. And and uh, Dave and Sue, your comments on that? Yeah, so just in addition to that, really, it's setting out almost the the ground rules from this, from the from the beginning. It's almost a, what is the code of practice that we're going to work to? Um, and there's also in that, adding in part of the governance is a, 
is a fair process policy in there as well. What is deemed as a as a family, as an organisation, what are we deciding is is fair to all in that process? So really that's what we've got is um you know by by definition for those meetings from the very beginning, what is that code of practice? What are the permissions from around the table or even around the Zoom call uh, as they tend to be right now? Um, so everyone knows how to act to behave. It must be, we're going from something that's maybe not a an informal government state, tends to nothing's written down necessarily. So you must reach that point where you've got a minutes taken. It must be formalised. Um, you must have that in place as well. So I think really the development from almost like growing up within the governance, it's saying from those natural conversations that were taking place around the, the dining room table, the kitchen table, as you grow to the boardroom table within the family businesses, to start to formalise, write down, code of practice, write down in terms of how we're actually going to engage with each other and actually formalise it through a written um, collection, really, of that conversation that took place. Mm -hmm. I think the only point I can add to that um, in terms of, Andrew, you talked about there's not, you know, people don't have this written down. Keeping to the very practical side of what where our specialism is in terms of working with family business, it, I, I can probably say that, that one in two, <laughs> one, in, well, one in five might, sorry, have actually got some, some sort of governance, but it's, it's nothing in terms of those conversations or things haven't even started, have they? No. Yeah. Yep. Your opinion on this? And uh, there was also a question from Guy. Do you think that an advisory board may be a precursor to uh, a formal board of directors, which I think is also a good question? So perhaps, Erika, if you can answer that. And uh, Andrea, I would also like to hear your opinion on uh, an advisory board versus a formal board of directors. Um, Elmeri, I, 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 I believe in consultation and I think an advisory board can definitely inform and assist um, and of course if there's an advisory board the integrity of that board and the manner in which this can be communicated or is communicated to the rest of uh, the family and also then directly to the board of directors that will play a key role in ensuring that there's integrity in what is discussed and what is recommended Maybe what I just can say from a philanthropy and governance perspective, um, all of these principles which Andrea um, and, and the other panelists pointed out apply to philanthropy as a focus area as well. And that is often where the problem comes in because philanthropy is seen as kind of like lower on the priority list and maybe we're not going to pay that much attention because we have to keep the business going, we have to keep the family under control and happy together. And then it can really, one's initiatives can actually turn into short-term impact and, and, and not focused. And what I've seen with, um, with family business founders who often, who have a big passion for philanthropy, and that is where they see their legacy to be. If it's not well governed, that becomes the challenge in the long run. And it can actually, actually work in the opposite direction of then establishing that legacy, which you want to see, um, living beyond, beyond you and, and, and going along with the business as it grows from one generation to another. So I also believe in having proper minutes taken and having values documented. Those values can stand and those documents can stand up in court. They can give an, a sense of where the founder was, was, um, casting his net in terms of a long-term legacy. And therefore I, I, I think 
having as much of it documented and formalized and discussed and done in a transparent manner will actually ensure that there's integrity with the philanthropy initiatives as well. Andrea, if if you can latch onto that, um, because Erika, you actually stole my next question. But I, I think we we tend to think. I was once, um, Erika, on one of your panel discussions. You were still in South Africa, there in Bulitu, um, and I remember I was um, in battle with one of the other panelist members um, because um, I I firmly believe that governance is necessary, whether you have five employees or whether you have 500 it's it's just the formality will perhaps be be uh, more you know more formal but nothing stops you as you say Erika from talking about values and and Andrea also mentioned that and as Dave said you know it's clarifying expectations um and have a code of conduct and whether, whether you are a a second generation or fifth generation, it, it just becomes more complex, but it should be in place. So, Andrea, I think uh, if if I, um, as, a, as a novice in this area, if I think of philanthropy, I think of the big companies and the big families. And our experience, Shelley and I, when we did the step cases, was that many, many family businesses are involved in charity. Uh, so they're not yet big enough to do philanthropy or have a f- formal family office, etc. Um, because I think it's in the nature, we have talked about social-emotional wealth now for three days, and that it's important for families to be involved in non-financial goals and, and outcomes as much as financial goals. So how do we make that transition from being informal involved in charity, uh, going more to formal philanthropy, formalizing our activities in terms of getting involved in the community. So if we can start you, Andrea, then go to Sue and Dave, and then Erica, I would very much like to hear your opinion on that as well. So So what's quite interesting is when um, we launched our Africa Family Business Survey now uh, four months ago in April, uh, we asked the same question. So how are families giving back? And 80% of them said they are involved in some form of philanthropy um, and they have a very keen focus on giving back to their communities. That's in their DNA to give back. So what we do when we sit with families and um, help them assist them in writing their family constitutions is actually one of the modules we focus on. But how do you give back? And how do you give back as a family and as a business? So we look at, and then also the individual family members, because obviously you're so much stronger when you do it together than each individual family member going into different things. Obviously, people may have a heart for different things and that's 100%. Um, but we assist them and, and tell them they have to write the mandate for what do they want to be known for? What's the vision? How do they want to give back as a family? So for instance, is education a passion for them? Um, is the environment a passion for them? Now with the ESGs becoming apparent, the sustainability being front of mind almost in every single, every second conversation I walk in, that's prominent. Um, how are you how are you drawing that in and making sure that it's not only about philanthropy, um, which is amazing and super important, but also how do you draw that into the business strategy? So are you have to, do you have sustainable business practices? Are you making sure you're remunerating your employees correctly and fairly? Um, as well as are we green? Uh, what's our carbon footprint? I know in Africa, again, as I mentioned, the main focus was giving back to the community, and some of the industries are already leading um, in in that 
area, of, especially in agriculture. When I sit with them, it's always, oh, we already give accommodation. We already have schools, um, creches, uh, provide them with food. Um, so, um, so many amazing things that they're already doing. I think it's just, as all of us mentioned, writing it down, um, formalizing it, um, allocating funds to it, um, tracking what's our actual business budget um, for our goals that we set out for the year, for the fi- for next five years. Where are we tracking? Um, is it making sense? Uh, are we yeah, uh, going where we want to go? Um, Sue and Dave? Absolutely, you want to? Please start this time. Okay, uh, yeah. So um, I think going, picking up on, on your point, Andrea, and we see this in the UK and family businesses we speak to across the world, many family businesses of what sh- whatever shape or size are already doing things in terms of, you know, in the philanthropy and, and in their communities and that giving back through all the different five ways of giving. But it comes back to what they're not doing is, and not all of them, this is some of them capturing it and they're tracking it and measuring it and evaluating it. And and it comes back to we, with another business that we we align with, um, investors in community, where that's the social impact tool. And I would say with the businesses that haven't got that governance and that... um, philanthropy in place it's about working with some of those businesses in educating them on how to track measure and evaluate um everything that they do yeah and just just to add in sort of to that it's the family businesses as we've all agreed on they've always done this but the bit that hasn't been there before is um, there's a badge now that, that's put there. So when we refer to ESG and things like that, they've always said, well, we don't need to badge something. We just do this. But actually now you have to formalize this a little bit more. And as others have said, track measuring and the impact that you're making. So when we go back to ESG, there's been a lot of discussion around the E, the environmental side for decades. There's been that discussion around the governance, but the S side in the middle has been way too small. So the social side, the social impact needs much more emphasis putting on it. So yes, the family businesses have been doing it, but yet we need to now actually exemplify that more so because that's really where family businesses have stood out above other businesses. You know, We talked before in our, in our last actually uh, session we had, which was about organizations and the businesses being profit with purpose. That's exactly what family businesses are. They are two side by side. But it's so important now to not just not talk about it, it's actually talk it up. This is what family businesses do well. This would encourage more people to look at it. So track, measure, verify it, put it there on the scale and present it with pride out there about what you're doing. It's a big recruit. I mean, sort of the, the big driver as well. And I think it's it's not to be missed the opportunity it's certainly you think of the next generation and, and the philanthropy and being measured you know they're they're looking to organizations now it isn't so much the pay scale it's what they're doing for the climate what they're doing back into the communities and i think that's you know in terms of recruitment and retention and other drivers and going back to what dave says that, that profit but with purpose they are the key key areas that the for family businesses to really and we do they, they excel in it and, and sorry just one really final point just when we talk about next generation in this yeah. as well we were actually corrected recently on an event we were running where they said the next gen said we're not the next gen we're the new gen a new generation mm-hmm. we're not just carrying on the traditions of old 
in terms of how we're looking at our organisations and our businesses, we will be measured on what we are giving back. We will be measured on impact, not the traditional forms of what people measure a business performance on. So we need to listen to them. Yeah, absolutely. I like the saying new generation. Nicely <laughs> put. Sorry, sorry, Andrea, I'll give you a chance now. Erika, your sure. opinion? No, that, that is, I, I also, I, I like Dave's closing point and I'm going to latch on onto what the previous panelists have said. It's not that it hasn't been happening, um, with, that philanthropy hasn't been happening because it is in the DNA of these businesses to be involved with their communities. And there's also nothing wrong with rather focusing on charity for now and developing a formal or a more mature philanthropy view for the future as the as the family business also matures. And I think one has to bear in mind that like any other vision for the business, this philanthropy vision will mature as the business matures and what we've seen with our clients. If it's a new business, there's this drive, but it's not that clear and it takes a little bit of time. But what's important at that stage is then to be as a as an advisor, put all the options on the table. Maybe for now you don't want your own foundation, but you would rather rather make a contribution to a specific uh, other organization, then informing what you do, bearing your legacy in mind. Or maybe in the long run, you would actually only like to just invest in a donor investment fund because you know then there's more than only economic benefit, but there's financial benefit, but also the social impact. And uh, and I agree. I, I, I think if one engages with the new generation and the passion for measurement and the passion for outcome and, 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 and also the evolving technology, that will make philanthropy relevant in a family. Uh, it's a wonderful area in terms of which older generation can connect with new generation and and the philanthropy initiative can remain relevant within its context. Um, that's actually quite exciting. Um, Andrea, I'll come to you now. Um, I should have known that half an hour for governance is <laughs> two hours too short. So um, I've asked the boss if we can have five or ten minutes um, more. So I just want to read the comment of Ellen and Craig because I, I think it's it's spot on as well. Um, from Ellen is the challenge not that families see governance as very formal or corporate of nature, yet in order to protect their business and the harmony of the family and the group, an appropriate governance structure needs to be in place. So that's for me a very good um, summary and I agree with that. And also from Cray, put another way, it is important to start by understanding the natural governance which is already in place, making the family aware of this and then to work with the family to understand understand their shared purpose from here formalizing and enhancing the governance with the family. And I thought that was two very, very good comments. If I can perhaps just quickly um, share something, um, I have so many questions still. Um, I can just share with you, uh, Dave, you said it's important that the family put it out there. I had uh, the privilege of visiting two U.S. family businesses. Um, the one one had, uh, both of them had um, special lines and also visiting two, uh, no, three large businesses or not large, medium-sized businesses in Europe. Um, and it was very, very interesting. In the U.S., they almost use the, the, the um, you know, the special lines, the charities that they do as a marketing tool. While my experience from the three um, European businesses was completely different. Um, they actually had a, a line with uh, 
uh, autistic people um, that it was hair products and it was amazing. And they don't mention it anywhere in the formal communication. And I think in South Africa, it is also perhaps the case in certain culture. And this is also very, another good example, you know, where um, some businesses will flaunt it and use it as a marketing tool while others do amazing things and you actually don't know about that. And that's the, the, the type of things that you actually want to be aware of. So that was just an interesting observation from my side that culture also plays a role in how this is communicated. So Andrea, you wanted to make a remark before uh, my final question. No, I just wanted to latch on to, um, to the, the new gen, <laughs> what you were saying, and that the younger generation are strongly motivated by meaning and purpose when it comes to, to their career um, and sometimes struggle to find, find that in those qualities or even just documented and written down in their family businesses. So, you know, to clarify it and write it down and writing a purpose and vision and mission um, will actually also attract the next gen to the family business. Um, same as sustainability. And, and philanthropy um, the profit of a purpose uh, purpose of a profit sorry um, is very very important to them um, can, can I start then with you Andrea to ask you um, you know saying it's a means to involve the, the next generation because I always thought that philanthropy was almost given to uh, the family member that you don't know what to do with or the older generation run the family office so in, in, and I want to hear from all three panelists, um, how can, uh, Andrea, starting with you, how, how can we involve the next gen? How can we retain them by using our philanthropy, charity, social responsibility activities? How can we do that practically? So I Andrea, think- if we're... Um, making them part from a very young age. I think that's also a way to, to instill the values uh, of the family. And we are not, we are here, we have a heart for the community. Um, whatever we work for, we work hard for, but then we give back. So on the, with the families I work with um, and the family councils they have, one of the committee's focuses main focus is on philanthropy and on on um, charities and pulling them into all those initiatives and then for instance if if you go somewhere and distribute food take them with um give them the parcels to hand over to the to ever you're assisting whoever you're helping i think um that will instill and just also draw them into the family um it's becoming more and more important and as i mentioned families are creating com- um, committees that drive their their uh, mandate <laughs> Perhaps, Erika, before I come to you, one of the um, um, attendees made a very valuable comment. And I agree with that. I think many family members, like any of us, do not really understand the difference. Erika, you had it in your presentation. What's the difference between charity and philanthropy? So I think a, a good way perhaps to you know, start educating the family on you know, what does, what does it entail? Because I think one of the people made the comment, and I agree with that, I think many family members have no idea. Uh, just as you ask them who's the trustees and the beneficiaries, they all have this blank look on their faces. So I think, you know, we sometimes miss basic education with the families we consult with. or So it's, it's creating awareness. Erica, um, your opinion, and then um, Dave and Sue. Yes, Amri, um, thank you. Um, in terms of just quickly touching on that point, the difference between charity and philanthropy, I think what's exciting about philanthropy is it has 
long-term and advocacy, advocacy potential. And you might find that some of the younger generations are more socially activistic, <laughs> more social activists than others. And that's a, that's a nice way of, of putting them into philanthropy. But again, it's, it's, it's not a prescribed way forward. It could, should be consulted with them. Uh, just going back in terms of how we get them also involved, apart from drawing them in through the advocacy potential, is um, Alan and Cray and I, we, we had a client, which the philanthropy aspect was actually used as a training area for the business by giving the next generation or the new generation X amount of money and seeing how they grow it and what they use it for and how they apply it. That's an excellent way of also building the business acumen. And lastly, I think this question is almost like asking how do we create socially aware and involved citizens of a country? It's a, it's, it comes from the example you set and the way you involve them, which latches onto Andrea's point. The sooner the better and finding out what their passion areas are and taking their input seriously in terms of where they see the technology playing a role in managing these philanthropy initiatives. That could really be an exciting conversation. And Dave? Yeah. yeah. So I think you know, from our perspective and something, that, that there's a term that's used over in the UK a lot um, about levelling up. This is a phrase that people, what does this all mean and is this about something financial? In our terms and within family businesses, the, the levelling up is about this is about everybody contributing. And we're talking about with the, the new generation, how do they get involved rather than the establishment of the family? It's they're more prone now to actually helping out on the ground, encouraging everybody to do a little bit of something rather than, well, we've created this maybe a, a positive wealth that we can start to share and support others. It's actually giving time now. There's much more about just supporting and giving time out there as well. So a new generation, it's very much more about encouraging everybody within the business to be involved and give a little bit of something is the levelling up aspect of what we're wanting here. So rather than almost like a philanthropy view where it's one to many, it should be many to many. Yeah. That's how we'd see that working. And, and I think just, just to add on to that, our new generation, you know, they it, everything that we do is about the storytelling, the learning and the collaboration and that knowledge transfer. And I think by almost becoming the ambassadors themselves of, of drive the driving force, they'll learn and educate from others and themselves and, and to, to drive that, the whole agenda forwards. Yeah. Because I know she's also very much into governance. Uh, perhaps, Erika, starting by you this time, um, this is still an African uh, family business conference. So how can we use um, philanthropy uh, to make an impact in the African continents? Because I remember last year, uh, Nika said that um, other than European countries, US countries, you know, social need for them. We don't have that in, in Africa. And that family businesses could actually... Oh, I think we've, we've lost. We've just lost. Lost coming back, I think. Oh, <laughs> there we go. Hi, Elmarie, we'd lost you there. Could you just repeat your question? Sorry, sorry. So um, I want to know as the last question and teacher, if you are willing to also contribute, starting with you, Erika, what impact can... African family businesses make to make the lives of the people on the ground better? How can they employ uh, philanthropy and other tools to have an impact 
in the African continent? I think, Elmeri, there is a lot of philanthropy happening in an informal way in 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 all the ver- in in the regions, and I think by paying attention to the different shapes and forms and seeing how we can apply and speak to one another and learn from what works and what doesn't work within Africa-specific family contexts, we will generate a lot of information. And from there, we can influence legislation prepared to ensure that our tax legislation and the other relevant pieces of legislation are flexible enough to accommodate accommodate the diversities we should be so proud of. Andrea, on your side, I, how can I we make with, an impact? As- um, I agree with Erica. I think we're already doing um, amazing things. Uh, it's maybe just working together more. Um, and so because everybody's doing it more in the background or, and as you've mentioned, in if you look at South Africa, it's a, we have a culture of if you say what you're doing and where you're helping, you're bragging. Um, so it's not always in the, you know, the front page of the newspapers but if if a lot of these families stand together and work together for certain causes I think the SDGs um, there are so many things that we already know where there's help needed uh, they can create a huge impact and and soon Dave in your experience working with other cultures around the globe um, what have you seen what what have they done um, that we can perhaps repeat in an African context Um, I think it comes back to um, the education side of things actually giving you, you the new generation but from a much younger age every opportunities to to be involved in initiatives and use their expertise and ideas to help drive and innovate and I think that comes in the art of volunteering or businesses or families giving experience to these young people that they they're then gaining some life experience to be able to then take forwards and implement themselves into their future careers and but it, it's a way of giving back into the community we we have here in the UK there's there's different initiatives with certain age groups where they actually are working on projects in groups together where it's to do with an environmental project or running a business or learning from others almost like secondment in other work placements and it's those workplaces giving those opportunities. Yeah, and in addition, uh, back again on the education point, where we see things working very well, the, the philanthropic approach to something is the larger organisations are helping fund some of the much smaller family businesses that want to expand and develop. And if they can expand and develop, they can, of course, then recruit more local people in the community and help support that community. But they can't really justify or afford the development of some of their family members. So the larger businesses are helping fund that education by enabling some secondment into other businesses, by enabling paid for education in the universities to then go back into the business and develop it. So the larger businesses already have this established, but what's certainly happening across in the UK is they are funding a lot of the smaller enterprises with a view to creating a longevity to that family business and therefore a legacy for the community. So education investment. Um, I cannot agree with you more, Dave, because um, uh, we have a PhD student, Shelley and I, whose uh, topic is on corporate social or social responsibility practices in family businesses. And what is interesting is that one of or two of the practices, you know, we, we tend to think about environmental practices, but in a family business, is a, is a social responsibility because 
because you don't sustain the business over generations, a whole community can fall apart because any smaller community, the family business, uh, you know, create jobs. And uh, employment is also a social responsibility practice. So that was quite an eye-opener to me. You know, you tend to think of that as economic activities. But in a family business, because of their socio-emotional wealth, that is actually also a social responsibility practice. So that's a very good point. Titi, is there perhaps something you want to add um, as a final um, word to how do you experience, how can family businesses make an impact on continent? Hi, Emma. Can you repeat that? I didn't hear you. Um, how can, what do you think? Because I know you're also a, a, a corporate, uh, you know, you're also an expert in governance. So how do you think family businesses can contribute to, um, you know, job creation having an impact uh, on the African continent? Um, sorry, I have to be off uh, camera because I have next-gen issues. But um, I think when it comes to um, family businesses, they are the key to job creation overall. So having them engage within their communities more through philanthropy, um, as my other speaker said, and as well as um, ensuring that when they look at their values and the alignment of their values as a family and as a business, it goes back to servicing the community because the community in itself is not just the, the, the environment that the family business operates in, but it's, it's the larger environment in terms of the country and the continent itself. Thank you so much for that. And I, uh, I want to thank all panel members. Uh, and it's my fault. I will know for next year to make this at least an hour or two hour session. Uh, Dave and Sue from the UK, thank you so much. Erica from the Boston, from the US. Um, but actually, um, we miss you here in South Africa. Andrea in the beautiful Cape. And then Shelly, um, uh, who is five houses from me and is in Zimbabwe. I want to really thank all of you, Alan, Gray, Gay, all of you guys that have made Ruth, who has made very valuable comments during this session. I want to thank you so much. And I hope I see some of you back tomorrow for our last day. Have a good evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.